Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Children of Dune, Chapter 30. This is a good place for us, he'd said, pointing out that the wind trap still functioned. Our friends have left us some water. They were a small band now, sixty people in all. The old, the sick, and the very young had been filtered south into the Palmeries absorbed there by trusted families. Only the toughest remained, and they had many friends to the north and the south. Kanima wondered why Stilker refused to discuss what was happening to the planet. Couldn't he see it? As the quanets were shattered, Vemin pulled back to the northern and southern lines which once had marked the extent of their holdings. This movement could only signal what must be happening to the Empire. One condition was the mirror of the other. Kanima ran a hand under the collar of her still suit and resealed it. Despite her worries, she felt remarkably free here. The inner lives no longer plagued her, although she sometimes felt their memories inserted into her consciousness. She knew from those memories what this desert had been once, before the work of the ecological transformation. It had been drier for one thing, that unrepaired wind trap still functioned because it processed moist air. Many creatures which once had shunned this desert ventured to live here now. Many in the band remarked how the daylight owls proliferated. Even now, Kanima could see ant birds. They jigged and danced along the insect lines which swarmed in the damp sand at the end of the shattered quanet. Few badgers were to be seen out here, there were kangaroo mice in uncounted numbers. Superstitious fear ruled the new Fremen, and Stilger was no better than the rest. This Jadida had been given back to the desert after its quanet had been shattered a fifth time in eleven months. Four times they'd repaired the ravages of the desert demon then, they'd no longer had the surplus water to risk another loss. It was the same all through the Chiditas and in many of the old sieges. Eight out of nine new settlements had been abandoned. Many of the old siege communities were more crowded than they had ever been before. And while the desert entered this new phase, Fremen reverted to their old ways. They saw omens in everything. The worms increasingly scarce except in the Tanzeroft. 
it was the judgment of Shai Halud. And dead worms had been seen with nothing to say when they died. They went back to desert dust swiftly after death. But those crumbling hulks, which Fremen chanced upon, filled the observers with terror. Stilker's band had encountered such a hulk the previous month and it had taken four days for them to shake off the feeling of evil. The thing had reeked of sour and poisonous putrefaction. Smoldering hulk had been found sitting on top of a giant spice below. The spice, mostly ruined. Ganima turned from observing the quanet and looked back at the Chitita. Directly in front of her lay a broken wall, which once had protected a mushtamal, a small garden annex. She'd explored the place with a firm dependence upon her own curiosity, and found a store of flat, unleavened spice bread in a stone box. Stilker had destroyed it, saying, Fremen would never leave good food behind them. Ganima had suspected he was mistaken, but it hadn't been worth the argument or the risk. Fremen were changing. Once, they had moved freely across the flood, drawn by natural needs, water, spice, trade. Animal activities had been their alarm clocks. But animals moved to strange new rhythms now, while most Fremen huddled close to their old cave warrens within the shadow of the northern shield wall. Spice hunters in the Tanzeruft were rare, and only Stilker's band moved in the old ways. She trusted Stilker in his fear of Alia. Erulian reinforced his arguments now, reverting to old Bene Gesserit musings. But on faraway Salusa, Aradin still lived. Someday, there would have to be a reckoning. Ganima looked up at the gray silver morning sky, questing in her mind. Where was help to be found? Where was there someone to listen when she revealed what she saw happening all around them? The Lady Jessica stayed on Salusa, if the reports were to be believed. And Alia was a creature on a pedestal, involved only in being colossal, while she drifted farther and farther from reality. Gurney Halleck was nowhere to be found, although he was reported, seen everywhere. The preacher had gone into hiding. His heretical rantings, only fading memory and stoker. She looked across the broken wall to where Stilger was helping repair the cistern. Stilger revealed in his role as the will of the desert, the price upon his head growing monthly. Nothing made sense anymore. Nothing. Who was this desert demon? This creature able to destroy Conan's as though they were false idols to be toppled into the sand. Was it a rogue worm? 
Was it a third force in the rebellion many people? No one believed it was a worm. The water would kill any worm venturing against a quantity. Many Fremen believed the desert demon was actually a revolutionary band bent on overthrowing Alias Madanit and restoring Arrakis to its old ways. Those who believed this said it would be a good thing. Get rid of that greedy apostolic succession which did little else than uphold its own mediocrity. Give back to the true religion which Maldib had espoused. A deep sigh shook Ganima. Orlido, she thought. I'm almost glad you didn't live to see these days. I join you myself, but I've a knife yet unblooded. Alia and Faradin. Faradin and Alia. The old barons are demon, and that can't be permitted. Hara came out of the Chidida, approaching Ganima with a steady sand-swallowing pace. Hara stopped in front of Ganima, demanded, What do you alone out here? This is a strange place, Hara. We should leave. Steel Girl waits to meet someone here. Oh. Didn't tell me that. Why should he tell you everything? Maku? Hara slapped the water pouch, which bulged the front of Ganima's robe. Are you a grown woman to be pregnant? I've been pregnant so many times, there's no counting them. Ganima said, Don't play those adult games with me. Hara took a backward step at the venom in Ganima's voice. You're a band of stupids. Ganima said, waving her hand to encompass the Jadida and the activities of Stilger and his people. I should never have come with you. You'd be dead now if you hadn't. Perhaps, but you don't see what's right in front of your faces. What is it that Stilger waits to meet here? Where are Govies? Ganima stared at her. Is being wrought here secretly by friends from Red Chasm Siege. Hara explained. Alia's little plaything. He is being brought under blindfold. Does Stilker believe that? We're asked for the parley. He agreed to all of our terms. Why wasn't I told about this? Stilker knew you would argue against it. Argue against? This is madness. Hara scowled. Don't forget that Boer is his family. Ganima snapped. He's the grandson of Stilker's cousin, I know. And the Faradin, whose blood I'll draw one day, is as close a relative to me. Do you think that'll stay my knife? We've had a distrance. No one follows his party. Ganima spoke in a low voice. 
Nothing good will come of this horror. We should leave at once. Have you ridden, old man? Ara asked. The dead worm we saw was that. Stuff that into your womb and give birth to it elsewhere. Ganema raged. I don't like this meeting nor this place. Isn't that enough? I'll tell Stoker what you... I'll tell it myself. Ganema strode past Hara, who made the sign of the worm horns at her back to ward off evil. <laughs> but Stoker only laughed at Ganema's fears and ordered her to look for sand trout as though she were one of the children. She fled into one of the Jadita's abandoned houses and crouched in a corner to nurse her anger. The emotion was passed quickly, though she felt the stirring of the inner lives and remembered someone saying, If we can immobilize them, things will go as we plan. What an odd thought. But she couldn't recall who'd said those words. Matip was disinherited, and he spoke for the disinherited of all time. He cried out against that profound injustice which alienates the individual from that which he was taught to believe, from that which seemed to come to him as a right. The Madinate, an analysis by Hark Al-Ada. Gurney sat on the butte Chulak, with his bowels set beside him on a spice fiber rug. Below him, the enclosed basin swarmed with workers planting crops. The sand ramp up which the cast out had lured worms on a spice trail had been blocked off with a new quanet. Plantings moved down the slope to hold it. It was almost time for the noon meal and Halleck had been on the butte for more than an hour, seeking privacy in which to think. Humans did the labor below him, but everything he saw was the work of melange. Leto's personal estimate was that spice production would fall soon to a stabilized one-tenth of its peak in the Harkonnen years. Stockpiles throughout the Empire doubled in value at every new posting. 321 liters were said to have brought half of Nova Brand's planet from the Matuli family. The cast outworked like men driven by a devil, and perhaps they were. Before every meal, they faced the Tanzeruft and prayed to Shai Halu personified. That was how they saw Leto, and through their eyes, Alex saw a future where most of humankind shared that view. Alec wasn't sure he liked that prospect. Leto had set the pattern when he brought Halleck and the preacher here in Halleck's stolen thopter. With his bare hands, Leto had breached the Shulak quanet, hurling large stones more than 50 meters when the cast out had tried to intervene. Leto had decapitated the first to reach him, 
using no more than a blurred sweep of his arm. He'd hurled others back into their companions and had laughed at their weapons. In a demon voice, he'd roared at them. Fire will not touch me. Your knives will not harm me. I wear the skin of Shia Lude. The cast out had recognized him then and recalled his escape, leaping from the butte directly to the desert. They'd prostrated themselves before him, and Leto had issued his orders. I bring you two guests. You will guard them and honor them. You will rebuild your quanet and begin planting an oasis garden. One day I'll make you my home here. You will prepare my home. You will sell no more spice, but you will store every bit you collect. On and on he'd gone with his instructions, and the cast out had heard every word, seeing him through fear-glazed eyes, through a terrifying awe. Here, where Shihalud come up from the sand at last. There'd be no intimation of this metamorphosis when Leto had found Halleck with Gajin Afali, and one of the small rebel sieges at Garudin. With his blind companion, Leto had come up from the desert along the old spice route, traveling by worm through an area where worms were now a rarity. He'd spoken of several detours, forced upon him by the presence of moisture in the sand enough water to poison a worm. They had arrived shortly after noon and had been brought into the stone-walled common room by guards. The memory haunted Halleck now. So this is the preacher, he said, striding around the blind man, studying him. Halleck recalled the stories about him. No still suit mass hid the old beasts in the siege and the features were there for memory to make its comparisons. Yes, the man did look like the old duke for whom Leto had been named. Was it a chance likeness? You know the stories about this one, Alec asked, speaking in an aside to Leto. That is your father come back from the desert. I've heard the stories. Halleck turned to examine the boy. Leto wore an old still suit with rolled edges around his face and ears. Black robe covered it, and sand boots sheathed his feet. There was much to be explained about his presence here. How he'd managed to escape once more. Why do you bring the preacher here? Halleck asked. In Jakarutu, they said he works for them. No more. I bring him because Alia wants him dead. So, you think this is a sanctuary? You are a sanctuary. All this time, the preacher stood near them, listening, but giving no sign that he cared which turn their decision took. He has served me well, Gurney, Leto said. Los Atreides has not lost all sense of obligation to those who serve us. House Atreides. I am House Atreides. You fled Jakarutu before I could complete the testing. I 
your grandmother ordered, Alex said, his voice cold. How can you assume this man's life is to be guarded as though it were your own? Leto spoke as though there were no argument. He met Halleck's stare without flinching. Jessica trained Halleck in many of the Bene Gesserit refinements of observation, and he detected nothing in Leto which spoke of other than calm assurance. Jessica's orders remained, though. Your grandmother charged me to complete your education and be sure you're not possessed. I'm not possessed. Just a flat statement. Why did you run away? Namri had orders to kill me no matter what I did. His orders were from Alia. Are you a truth sayer then? I am. Another flat statement filled with self-assurance. And Ganima as well? No. The preacher broke his silence then, turning his blind sockets toward Halleck, but pointing to Leto. You think you can test him? Don't interfere when you know nothing of the problem or its consequences, Halleck ordered, not looking at the man. Oh, I know its consequences well enough, the preacher said. I was tested once by an old woman who thought she knew what she was doing. She didn't know, as it turned out. Alec looked at him then. You're another truth-sayer. Anyone can be a truth-sayer, even you. The preacher said, it's a matter of self-honesty about the nature of your own feelings. It requires that you have an inner agreement with truth which allows ready recognition. Why do you interfere? Alec asked, putting hand to Chris's knife. Who was this preacher? I'm responsive to these events, the preacher said. My mother could put her own blood upon the altar, but I have other motives, and I do see your problem. Oh. Alec was actually curious now. Lady Jessica ordered you to differentiate between the wolf and the dog, between Zib and Caleb. By her definition, a wolf is someone with power who misuses that power. However, between wolf and dog, there is a dawn period when you cannot distinguish between them. That's close to the mark. Alex said, noting how more and more people of the siege had entered the common room to listen. How do you know this? Because I know this planet. You don't understand. You know how it is. Beneath the surface, there are rocks, dirt, sediment, sand. That's the planet's memory. The picture of its history. It's the same with humans. The dog remembers the wolf. Each universe revolves around a core of being. And outward from that core go all of the memories. Right out to the surface. Very interesting, Alex said. How does that help me carry out my orders? Review the picture of your history which is within you. Communicate as animals would communicate. Alex shook his head. There was a compelling directness about this preacher. A quality which he'd recognized many times in the Atreides. 
There was more than a little hint that the man was employing the powers of voice. Halleck felt his heart begin to hammer. Was it possible? Jessica wanted an ultimate test, a stress by which the underlying fabric of her grandson exposed itself. The preacher said, but the fabric's always there, open to your gaze. Halleck turned to stare at Leto. The movement came of itself, compelled by irresistible forces. The preacher continued, as though lecturing an obstinate pupil. This young person confuses you because he's not a singular being, he's a community. As with any community under stress, any member of that community may assume command. This command isn't always benign, and we get our stories of abomination. But you've already wounded this community enough, Gurney Halleck. Can't you see that the transformation already has taken place? This youth has achieved an inner cooperation which is enormously powerful. That cannot be subverted. Without eyes, I see this. Once I opposed him, but now I do his bidding. He is the healer. Who are you? Alec demanded. I'm no more than what you see. Don't look at me. Look at this person you were ordered to teach and test. He has been formed by crisis. He survived a lethal environment. He is here. Who are you? Alec insisted. I tell you only to look at this Atreides youth. He is the ultimate feedback upon which our species depends. He'll reinsert into the system the results of its past performance. No other human could know that past performance as he knows it. And you consider destroying such a one? I was ordered to test him. And I've not. But you have. Is he abomination? <laughs> a weary laugh shook the preacher. You persist in being a jesserate nonsense how they create the myths. Men sleep. Are you Paul Atreides? Halleck asked. Paul Atreides is no more. He tried to stand as a supreme moral symbol while he renounced all moral pretensions. He became a saint without a god, every word a blasphemy. How can you think? Because you speak with his voice. Would you test me now? Beware, Gurney Halleck. Alec swallowed, forced his attention back to the impassive Leto, who stood calmly observant. Who was being tested? The preacher asked. Is it perhaps that the Lady Jessica tests you, Gurney Halleck? Halleck found this thought deeply disturbing. Wondering why he let this preacher's words move him. 
But it was a deep thing in Atreides' servants to obey that autocratic mystique. Jessica explaining this, it made it even more mysterious. Halleck now felt something changing within himself. Something whose edges had only been touched by the Bene Gesserit training Jessica had pressed upon him. An articulate fury arose in him. He did not want to change. Which of you plays God? And to what end? The preacher asked. You cannot rely on reason alone to answer that question. Slowly, deliberately, Halleck raised his attention from Leto to the blind man. Jessica kept saying he should achieve the balance of Karitz. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. She called it a discipline without words and phrases, no rules or arguments. It was the sharpened edge of his own internal truth, all engrossing. Something in the blind man's voice, his tone, his manner, ignited a fury which burned itself into blinding calmness within Halleck. Answer my question. The preacher said. Halleck felt the words deep in his concentration upon this place. This one moment and its demands. His position in the universe was defined only by his concentration. No doubt remained in him. This was Paul Atreides, not dead, but returned. And this non-child Leto. Halleck looked once more at Leto, really saw him. He saw the signs of stress around the eyes, the sense of balance in the stance, the passive mouth with its quirking sense of humor. Leto stood out from his background as though at the focus of a blinding light. He had achieved harmony simply by accepting it. Tell me, Paul, Alex said. Does your mother know? The preacher sighed. To the sisterhood, all achieved harmony simply by accepting it. Tell me, Paul, Alex said. Does your mother know? The preacher sighed. To the sisterhood, all of it. I am dead. Do not try to revive me. Still not looking at him, Halleck asked. But why does she? She does what she must. She makes her own life, thinking she rules many lives, thus we all play God. But you're alive. Halleck whispered, overcome now by his realization, turning at last to stare at this man younger than himself, but so aged by the desert that he appeared to carry twice Halleck's years. What is that? Paul demanded. Alive. Halleck peered around them, the watching Fremen, their faces caught between doubt and awe. My mother never had to learn my lesson. It was Paul's voice. To be a god can ultimately become boring and degrading. 
there'd be reason enough for the invention of free will. A god might wish to escape into sleep and be alive only in the unconscious projections of his dream creatures. But you're alive. Alex spoke louder now. Paul ignored the excitement in his old companion's voice, asked, Would you really have pitted this lad against his sister in the test mashat? What deadly nonsense. Each would have said, No, kill me, let the other live. Where would such a test lead? What is it then to be alive, Gurney? That was not the test. Halleck protested. He did not like the way the Fremen pressed closer around them, studying Paul, ignoring Leto. But Leto intruded now. Look at the fabric, father. Yes, yes. Paul held his head high as though sniffing the air. It's for Adam, then. How easy it is to follow our thoughts instead of our senses. Leto said. Halleck had been unable to follow this thought and, about to ask, was interrupted by Leto's hand upon his arm. Don't ask, Gurney. You might return to suspecting that I am abomination. No. Let it happen, Gurney. If you try to force it, you'll only destroy yourself. But Halleck felt himself overcome by doubts. Jessica had warned him. It can be very beguiling, those preborn. They have tricks you've never even dreamed. Halleck shook his head slowly. And Paul, gods below, Paul alive and in league with this question mark he'd fathered. The Fremen around them could no longer be held back. They pressed between Halleck and Paul, between Leto and Paul, shoving the two to the background. The air was showered with hoarse questions. Are you Matib? Are you truly Matib? Is it true what he says? Tell us! You must think of me only as the Breacher, Paul said, pushing against them. I cannot be Paul Atreides or Maldib never again, not Chani's mate or Emperor. Halleck, hearing what might happen, these frustrated questions found no logical answer, was about to act when Leto moved ahead of him. It was there, Halleck first saw an element of the terrible change which had been wrought in Leto. A bull-voiced roared. Stand aside! Leto moved forward, thrusting adult Fremen right and left, knocking them down, clubbing them with his hands, wrenching knives from their hands by grasping the blades. Less than a minute, those Fremen still standing were pressed back against the walls in silent consternation. Leto stood beside his father. When Shai Halud speaks, you obey. Leto said, and when a few of the Fremen had started to argue, Leto had torn a corner of rock from the passage wall beside the room's exit and crumbled it in his bare hands, smiling all the while. I will tear your siege down around your faces, he said. The desert demon, someone whispered. And your quanids? Leto agreed. 
I will rip them apart. We have not been here. Do you hear me? Heads shook side to side in terrified submission. No one here has seen us, Leto said. One whisper from you and I will return to drive you into the desert without water. Alex saw hands being raised in the warding gesture, the sign of the worm. We will go now, my father and I, accompanied by our old friend, Leto said. Make our thopter ready. Leto had guided them to Shulakfin, explaining en route that they must move swiftly because Baratin will be here on Arrakis very soon. And as my father has said, then you'll see the rail test, Garney. Looking down from the Shulak Butte, Halleck asked himself once more, as he asked every day. What test? What does he mean? But Leto was no longer in Shulak, and Paul refused to answer. listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.